Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the horror hell. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more. Your search is through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. Back for another pound of flesh. You've come to the right place. Feel free to make yourself comfortable, and I certainly hope you brought an appetite for the unsavory... If this happens to be your first taste of this particular slow bleed, I encourage you to revisit our last few episodes to catch up. Otherwise, I give you chapters 21 through chapters 25 of Drew Stepik's Knuckle Supper. Chapter 21 Wizards 
Real Tim, not Tim, and new Tim parked in front of my cell. White guy, wake up. I'm up. <coughs> I responded. Get out of bed and turn towards the back wall, new Tim commanded. Playing dumb, I pointed at them. What's all that for? Despite my confused behavior, I knew that the shackles, cattle prods, and shotguns were to remove me from my dungeon. I got no answer and groggily did as they instructed. The car alarm sounded. My cell door unlocked and then opened behind me. Almost as instantly as the wheels that controlled the doors began to click, I felt the barrels of both shotguns shoved into the back of my head. Don't move. Not Tim barked. Sparks and the prods tingled up and down my spine. The new Tim crouched to my feet and swatted at my boots. Open your legs, he said. Do you want me to not move or open my legs? Real Tim and not Tim moaned. One of them eased a prod closer to my skin. Open your legs, idiot. As I separated my feet, new Tim clamped the shackles around my ankles and handed me the other end of the chain through the center of my legs. Put these on. I reached between my legs and dragged the connection upward as I clamped the metal cuffs around each wrist. You know, these can't hold me, don't you? I said. One of the barrels knocked at the back of my head. We know. The chains are just another deterrent. I picked a dry booger off the inside corner of my nose and flung it over my head. Who's to say that I won't turn around, break the chains, disarm you, and then rip the three of you to pieces? The prod zipped and zapped and I felt their heat at my kidneys. The shotgun tapped at the steel collar around my neck. This does, real Tim answered. I elongated my neck and swallowed as if I was loosening a tie. Yeah, I was wondering about that. No respect. Turn around slowly. Not Tim ordered. I did. The three Tims stood like a defensive line. Two arm lengths in front of me. Each of them had a shotgun pointed at the center of my face. I tried to adjust the collar with both my hands. What is this thing anyway? Insurance. The always witty, not Tim, said. Okay, I got that. What does it do? Does it shock me or something? The three Tims looked at each other and chuckled. Hardly. Not Tim returned, tugging on my shackles to make sure they were secured. He stepped backward, refocusing his gun on my face. If you do anything, and I mean anything that we're not sure about, we just say something to this. He rubbed the lapel in his priest uniform, and it takes your head clean off. Lights on, he spoke into the mic. Medium frequency. The beams on my side of the cells flicked on. Entire hallway. The lamps down the hall turned on as well. Almost immediately, I felt the drain. Since Herman and I had been spared the light torture for a few days, the bite felt stronger than I remembered. Even if I didn't have the collar on, my sudden lack of energy prevented me from doing any damage to the three Tims before I ended up headless or with a cattle prod jammed up my cornhole. Where are we going? Father McAteer wants to speak with you, New Tim said. Oh, are you taking me to confession or something? I hope so. I have a shitload of sins, you know, being a demon and all. Not Tim smacked me on the forehead with his gun. Pipe down, smart guy. It's not a confession, I assure you. Dismissive, I replied. Yeah, I assure you. We exited my cell. 
Real Tim and not Tim on my sides with their guns still fixed on my skull and their prods grazing my ribcage. New Tim walked behind us, targeting the base of my neck and my lower back. The walk was painful, but I sluggishly trekked onward to the door. Not Tim spoke into his microphone again as security cams above us feverishly scanned the scene for any funny business. Door, he said clearly. The industrial freezer-sized door disengaged and opened to a small caged-in clearance room. There was another guard sipping coffee as he watched the monitors. And, believe it or not, a rerun of Dagnabbit. Real Tim patted the top of the television. You know that little girl is the junkie bitch who you've seen around here? No shit, the vigilant guard said, looking more closely at the set. I kid you not, Real Tim said. Deciding that cute little Dag Nabbit was indeed the habit, the guard bit into a piece of toast. Well, I was thinking about getting me some of that. I moved my bloated and dried-out tongue to the side of my mouth. No, you weren't, loser. Even that bitch would kick your shiftless ass. What kind of priest talk is that, anyway? Not Tim tugged at my shackles. Keep moving. Next to the security monitors, there were several other colored screens that appeared to be tracking heart rates and body heat and the like. To the right of the main observation area, there were around 20 blue lockers. Every locker that I could see had an Irish or Scottish surname taped across the front. Pretty diverse bunch, the cloth, I thought to myself. Not Tim took the lead after tapping the fat-ass guard on the shoulder. He swiped a keycard across a black security panel that opened the cage. The card reader flipped from a red light to green. I looked over to the less talkative real Tim and said, What is this, a Radisson? Are you kidding me? Don't you guys have, like, retinal or fingerprint scanners? How do you expect to keep us in here with this nickel and dime shit? He blew a strand of sandy blonde hair out of his eyes. It's managed to keep you locked in here for weeks, smart guy. We proceeded into another hall. As we made our way across the gate's threshold, UV lamps hummed on before we reached them. It was a nice touch, and pretty high-tech, even though I knew Fatboy at the TV was timing our steps, but it still didn't make up for the archaic keycard technology. I mean, seriously, was there an advertisement for a pizza hut on the back of that thing? With my mind drifting away from reality, my walking became more and more lumpish as we neared the end of the second hall. Door 2. New Tim said into his microphone. I guessed it had to be a tag team effort to open the labyrinth from the inside out. Just like the first major obstacle, the door released and coasted open using hydraulics. I stared at real Tim's microphone. Did these mics at least have vocal recognition? I blew toward the rough mesh ball. He tapped my collar with his finger. Don't get any ideas. We are always in control. There is a microphone on the front of this. We turn them on and off depending on what Fat Mac wants us to do. Is it on right now? To this, not Tim clubbed me with his cattle prod across my thighs. I fell to my knees. Fuck, dude! Why? They dragged me back to my feet and we entered a large gymnasium with basketball hoops at either end. It looked more like a homeless shelter than a recreation center. On one side of the court were ten more cots like the dream bed I had been sleeping on every night. On the other side, there were approximately five rusted incubators. They were older and looked as if they hadn't been turned on in over ten years. 
Past the incubators was a secured and barricaded set of double doors that had a large Do Not Enter sign. Yellow caution tape zigzagged everywhere. It didn't take Matlock to deduce that it was a makeshift hospital where I was born. Short on breath from the UV lighting dangling from fixtures above us, I kept my cynical observations and conclusions to myself. We passed through one more secured steel door that led to a staircase going up. As real Tim and not Tim shoved me up the stairs with their shotguns in my armpits, new Tim supported my back with his hands. Ah! Oh, God, it's like his skin is on fire. He said, pulling his sweaty hands away. After venturing through the central warship area of the Catholic Church that resided atop the stairs, we arrived at a series of unsecured doors. Each of the doors was plated with the name of the corresponding Irish Catholic priest who worked inside, at the end of a long line of O'Malley's and Sullivan's. We reached the doorway to Father McAteer's office. Exhausted from supporting me as we walked up the stairs, new Tim rounded me from the side and pressed a button on the intercom. Father McAteer, he said. Yes. Fat Mac's voice came through the intercom. We have the white one. We were buzzed into the office. New Tim looked at not Tim and real Tim and said, I'll catch up with you later. I have to work my security job tonight. Not Tim and real Tim made the sign of the cross, clutched the beads around their necks and said, We'll contact you when we need you again. Get some rest. Then they led me into the office. Now, not to criticize the allocation process of the church donations, but to say Fat Mac's office was palatial was an understatement. Vintage Bibles, books, and scrolls lined the walls corner to corner, only ending every so often to expose gleaming mahogany bookcases that gave off an unmistakable blossomy scent that filled the room. When I say that Fat Mac had walls of Bibles, I mean just that. Like an old-fashioned library, he had a ladder to get to those sometimes forgotten top-shelf books. Several museum-quality chairs surrounded a similarly chiseled, glossy desk. The sky opened to a stained-glass ceiling that looked traced and blown from the prototype at the Sistine Chapel. The two remaining Tims stood at the door as I continued into the literary promised land. Please, Mr. Reynolds, Fat Max said, inviting me to sit down. He looked across the room to the guards. You can go, my sons. The Tims did the cross thing again and left the room. I studied the microphone on Mac's priest garb. Lights. Low, he said. My throat gulped inside the metal collar as three production lights on boom stands triggered. Sorry about the lights. I can never be too cautious. Well, that's fine. I'm working on my tan. As I lethargically clumped my way to the desk, I noticed the fat Mac was setting up dominoes. Please, give me a minute and enjoy the seat. I'm sure it'll be much more comfortable than the accommodations downstairs. I lumped into one of the chairs. Even though I shouldn't have cared, I actually was worried I was going to soil or break the chair. It was that nice. He looked over his reading glasses that rested on his globular nose. You do know why you're here. Correct? Not really. Please don't keep me in suspense. You've already beaten the life out of me and dumped acid all over my chest. On top of all that, methadone isn't really a replacement for heroin. It tastes like soy milk by comparison to the real shit. Well, fair enough. Some precautions are unavoidable. 
I'm sure you can understand. Refusing to make eye contact with my captor, I surveyed the room. Whatever, I said. He continued to set up his dominoes, seemingly as unfazed by me as I was by him. You understand the Catholic Church's stance on abortion, do you not? Yeah, I get it. Is, um, that what the cots and incubators in the gym were for? That is what they were for, Mr. Reynolds. Were. Fat Mac moved down the line, making sure that all his dominoes were aligned correctly. He then reversed to the end to begin placing more bones. You see, a long time ago, this parish became a safe house for drug-addicted prostitutes and battered homeless women. You know, women in abusive relationships. You, your friends, and your enemies are a byproduct of our somewhat well-meaning yet misguided efforts. I turned away from the bookshelves. Misguided. I don't follow. He stopped with a domino pinched between his thumb and index finger. The former cardinal of this church, God rest his soul, decided to take the word of our Lord a step farther than most. He returned to his construction. Father Herlihy was a great man, but, like all of us, he misinterpreted the good word. He gave life to those who did not have life. I looked up at the stained glass. It barely shaded me from the approaching noon sun, almost booming through. I pushed my seat back a little, as if the stage lights weren't tormenting enough. Fat Mac pointed to the ceiling. Precautions? He paused, assessed the domino setup again, and continued. You see, Mr. Reynolds, you're alive because we gave you a gift that we now know should never have been given Filthy sweat dripped from the ends of my hair. Doesn't feel like a gift. You have my friend, or, um, me and Cobra, chained up in your torture chamber downstairs. What are you going to give me for Christmas? A crucifixion? Yes, yes, we have been a tad malicious toward you. Cut to the chase. You delivered us from evil by bringing us into this world. Close, he said, paying more attention to his stacking game. You are, or were, a stillborn child. You, like many of the others, were born addicted to heroin. Your mother came to the church as many other hopeless teenagers before her. She searched for guidance from God because she wanted to terminate the pregnancy. She also wanted somewhere to sleep. We took in as many as we could and gave them shelter. We gave you life as a result. Many romanticized theories I had about my existence, whether it was being bitten by a baron from Transylvania or being the spawn of Lucifer, were quickly swept behind the bookcases that surrounded me. I damped the back of my hand on my blistering forehead. How is that possible? Not all of you are stillborn. Some of you were premature, while others were just born addicted. That's why you need the narcotics, Mr. Reynolds. Quite simply, your hunger for heroin is why you live. I scooted further back, away from the glaring rays slam dancing from above. That's still impossible. It doesn't explain why I'm a living, breathing, thinking being. If I was stillborn, how am I alive? On top of that, why am I so strong? 
Why am I so sensitive to light? Why can I hear shit that regular people can't? I am a vampire. If I wasn't alive when I was born, then how are we talking right now? Be careful what you say, Mac. The will and love of God isn't the correct answer. He rubbed his nose a little, causing his glasses to slip down. He pushed them back to an approved domino-setting level. I assure you that it is nothing that spiritual. After we delivered you, we incubated you and gave you strength by feeding your addiction. At the same time, we gave you constant blood transfusions from clean members of our congregation. What about the fucking strength, asshole? Your strength is a side effect. To counter your inability to grow normally, we gave you growth hormones and steroids. The stimulants caused an overreactive blood system and heart rate that constantly, but slowly, drained your life cycle. He fumbled and dropped a domino on the floor. Let me ask you a question. I crossed my legs, uncrossed them, and put my elbows on my knees. Shoot. Can you use without the help of warm blood? He carelessly set up the domino he dropped on the floor. It almost tumbled backward. Using his pinky, he narrowly avoided complete destruction. Smoke started to ignite from my pores. I can. It depends on how much blood I have in my body, I guess. Is that the answer you're looking for? It is the exact answer. Your body does not produce hemoglobin on its own. It only eats it because of the enhancing drugs. The drugs have since become unavailable, thankfully. They were a test drug to control the effects of progeria on children, the disease that causes them to age too fast. They failed to counter the aging process, however. They sped up the circulatory system. Anyway, they spun your bodies into an uncontrollable spiral that it cannot break out of. As you have seen over the past few weeks, we can cure you from the heroin addiction. However, we can't cure you from your bodily disease. The need for your body to be constantly replenished with fresh blood is irreversible. I am sorry. As the sun reached noon, I tried to poke holes in this story, wishing it weren't the truth. So, what about the battle snakes? They can't be addicted to marijuana. Ignoring my pain, Fat Mac continued wrapping another outer wall to his now circular structure. As far as I know, you cannot become addicted to cannabis. We didn't give them marijuana while nurturing them, though. We gave them whatever drug their birth mothers were addicted to. Like most things in our modern society, smoking marijuana was a learned behavior that suited them and their lifestyle. It was also tidy, so not paranormal or alien or supernatural. I was correct when I told Herman that I was the product of the streets. Jesus, is this the only church that did this? No. Other churches in North America participated. My skin tightened to my insides as a dark cloud rolled over the sun. I exhaled, relieved, and let out a huge puff of smoke. Are you telling me that the Vatican is involved with this? Are you kidding me? Oh, I'm afraid not, Mr. Reynolds. We acted as the Order of the Cloth. We would have told the Vatican if our pro-life crusade hadn't gone so terribly awry. Overwhelmed by the bombardment of information, I continued to throw low-numbered cards at him, bluffing and hoping to maybe win a hand. So, 
Why can't any of us remember anything before we were teens? He flipped a block and line on his desk and then took off his reading glasses. We kept you here on life support in several closely guarded locations around Los Angeles until I felt you were at the age to survive on your own. So, you dumped us on the streets without a user's manual. What kind of shit is that, you fucking hypocrite? As I looked up to see my savior cloud rolling away, I put my arms over my face for protection. Mac paced around his structure, checking to see if any pieces were out of line. Be thankful, my son. Thankful? Be thankful for what? For being a living dumpster abortion? Life is a gift from God. Accept it in your heart while you can. I stood and kicked the chair back behind me. It smashed into wood chips as I blasted it against the wall. Unfazed, Mac cleared his throat and yelled, I'd stringle Guter! The microphone in the necktie was on. The collar turned like a screw and constricted around my neck. My body broke down into spasms as I flipped onto my back. I gasped for air and tried in vain to loosen the steel device. Please! I begged. Labe factum Guter! Instantly, the collar choker reversed. I remained on the floor, sucking in huge lungfuls of oxygen. Defeated. Broken. And clearly not of uncanny origin. I asked, What do you want? I should be clear, Mr. Reynolds. We need you to right the church's mistakes. As somewhat predicted, he recited the narrative from his ridiculous demonstration. The Lord giveth. He then flicked at the first domino in line. His dramatic climax, the dreadful explanation of my life, was short-lived as the toppling effect only lasted under a quarter of the way through the progression. He rushed to the roadblock that was delaying the fully realized potential of easily the lamest denouement in history. He swatted the disobedient block over. The Lord taketh away, he concluded. As the last brick toppled in the center... He made the sign of the cross. Even though I felt my glands swell into the neckband, I had to say something. Do you think I'm fucking retarded? What was all that? Unsure if I was questioning the context of his stupid performance, or if I just didn't understand it at all, he answered. A demonstration? I rolled under one of the chair backs to shield my body from the light. Why? Embarrassed at himself, he opened a drawer on his desk and began sashaying the dominoes inside. I don't know. You're the first one of your kind that I have ever spoken to beyond phone calls. I mean, tried to convey this delicate situation to. Disgusted, I asked. By using toys and games? He tried to plead innocent. It... It... It was just... He stuttered. I get it, asshole. Please take me back to my cell. Chapter 22 Orphans The Tims transplanted me back to my cell. I was physically and emotionally debilitated. 
barely able to focus in the quaint manger where I was given new life, the same question wrapped around my thoughts. Does everyone deserve to live? If so, what if the baby knew before they popped out of some drug addict's womb how shitty their life was going to be and decided they didn't want to live? They threw me back in my cell with a parting goodbye that was somewhere along the lines of, That'll keep you in line, demon. As if I had lost a wrestling match with Fat Mac. I dumped myself into my cot and plunged the methadone and blood IV back into my arm. Delirious and exhausted, I rested my head on the edge of my pillowless bed and vomited over the edge. Herman banged a plexiglass table against the bars that separated us. Hey, you're up. I said, spitting pigskin through my two front teeth. Yeah, I'm up. Where did they take you? Looks like they kicked your ass again. I cranked myself upright, using my left arm as if it were a flimsy jack under a car. I rubbed my neck above and below the dog collar. Dusty skin fell on my shoulders. Do you really want to know? He stepped backward and plugged his nose, still trying to avoid my stink. Of course I do. Catching a whiff of myself, I put my arm over my nose. Are you sure you're good to stand up? I stretched out the wrinkled skin under the collar, trying my best to straighten it out underneath the grip. Herman patted the pillow tape to his back. I'm still jacked up, but I'm healing. Good to hear. Can I have a pillow, please? Delicately, as if moving with the help of an invisible walker, he scuffed across the cement to his bed and grabbed his pillow. He reached toward the bars and pulled himself toward me, then pressed the pillow to the cell. Steadying myself and mindful not to slip on my own vomit, I latched onto the IV stand and dragged it with me across my cell. I snatched the pillow from him and hugged it with both arms. Holy shit. They gave you a real pillow. <laughs> That's lame. He pulled the pillow on his back down a notch like he was stretching out a tight shirt to cover his ass crack. I wish that was the pillow taped to my back. He turned around and showed me his rear. The once white pillow was drenched red. It looked like he was carrying a burnt rock on his back. So? I threw Herman's superior quality pillow down and I put my arms under it to support my tight neck and then crossed my legs behind me. I faced him. So? We're not vampires or anything like that. What does that mean, fool? Of course we are. I picked some pig out from under my tongue and wiped it on the back of my jeans. Well, we're different, but there isn't anything miraculous about us. So, we're like super soldiers gone bad, right? That's what I always figured. I scratched my feet together. What the hell is a super soldier? Herman glanced at the operating table next to him. You know, like we were created by Hitler's army or something. That's even dumber than what we really are. Look, Herman, I don't know if you want me to tell you any of this. As a matter of fact, I wish Fat Mac didn't even tell me. It's like the end of a shit mystery movie where the butler was the killer and the film was five minutes long. He kicked at the table. Just tell me. Reluctant, I started delivering Fat Mac's message. We were stillborn addicted babies that this Catholic church brought to life with some unapproved steroids. 
We spent about 12 to 13 years on life support with steroids and drugs to support our addictions. Then, when these assholes felt that we were ready to live on our own, they dumped us on the streets to fend for ourselves. Herman was silent. As if he were ignoring me, he repeatedly picked things up off the operating table, studied them, and put them back down. I'm sorry, I told him. You're telling me that we're orphans. I wanted to turn away from him, imagining what it felt like to have a self-illusion you're a super soldier or an extraterrestrial only to have the tablecloth yanked, revealing you are nothing more than a drug-addicted orphan. I don't know what to tell you. I feel the same way. Yesterday, felt like I was something special. Now I feel like a bum. Without responding, Herman swatted the flimsy tray next to the table, knocking all of its contents out of his cell. He paced the wall opposite me and grabbed onto the bars with both fists. You better be careful, I advised. He shot around. Why, Reynolds? Why should I be careful? He stumbled for more answers like I had with Fat Mac. What about the strength? The side effect of the hormones and the steroids... Desperately, he continued to poke holes. I felt his dejection as he tried to reevaluate our existence to the level of magnificence. The blood. What about the need and hunger for warm blood? Can we stop talking about this? He bent one of his own fingers backward and then flicked the broken bone back into place. The blood. Another side effect of the steroids. From what I understood, our organs, glands, and circulatory systems are overly active, but... They don't produce any blood. Our bodies eat anything that's inside of us. His shoulders dropped with a sigh as if the glory was fading. I, on the other hand, was beginning to feel how I felt around Bate when she was curious about how I was alive. The sun? He asked. I didn't really touch on that, but I imagine it's either another side effect or photophobia caused by being born premature or dead. Probably. Herman began bending the bars inward, toward each other. I saw the muscles on his back flex through the transparent lining of the pillow. The hearing? I don't know, Herman. I'm guessing our senses are more evolved because of the drugs and the steroids. I might have something to do with our repulsion to light. They say that blind people develop sensitive hearing. I rubbed at the blank real estate on my chest where my faction tattoo used to be. I mean... Think about bats. For some reason, that sounded too vampiric, so I revoked the suggestion that we were somehow related to bats. Not bats. It's the drugs. He didn't turn back around. Rather, he pumped the jail bars in and out. He still questioned, though, looking for some grandiose loophole. The healing. It has something to do with a sped-up immune system from all the steroids. Don't bother asking about your need for pot. I asked for you. And? Rather than bringing you to life by making you smoke blunts in your crib, they filled you with high doses of THC. It's a combination of overexposure to cannabis and base or sherm or heroin. You picked up all the roster shit on your own. There has to be more to it. There has to be. We're fucking vampires. Why are they keeping us here? Why are they studying us that they have all the answers, smartass? 
Why do they want to know more? They're observing us. Aren't they? I rolled over so I was facing the back wall of my cell. They aren't studying us. They don't want to make any more of us at all. He left the bars bent and walked back to the table. Then why are we here? Why do I have pins in my brain, bitch? They aren't studying us. They're torturing us, Herman. I think they want to fix their mistake. They want us to wipe out the rest. Before you ask me another twenty questions about why we would do that, I walked over to the bars between us. We'll do it because of this. I flicked at the dog collar. This little prick will screw your head right off your neck. He gave me the finger. I'd rather die, bitch. Why? All your battle snakes are already dead except for Copperhead and those dance hall queers. I know you want to kill him. I know you hate the Mexicans. They're gonna kill us anyway. Why not use the chance to get away? Are you really considering this, Reynolds? Why? I held onto the IV stand. Wait. I felt her ID in my back pocket. Astonished, he wiped his hand across his eyes. The little whore. Who cares? I care. I brought her into this shit, and I also know I can use her as a bargaining chip for our lives. And so, she's a stupid little bitch. Because one of us got her pregnant. If the cloth wants to wipe us all out, they're going to need to know which one of us did it so they can make sure that prick and any other mutants running around are dead. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings than anywhere else. So finding the perfect place is easier than ever. And so is finally moving in together. Just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities. Lots of adjustments. Most likely, they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom. And you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They might even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together. But you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them. Because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, so that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com. The place to find a pet-friendly place.
Fat Max stood in front of our cells. Oh, you're looking better, Cobra, he said. Call me Herman. I didn't know if his response was a means of being difficult or if he was coming to terms with the fact that he was just another piece of street shit. Mac pulled a small notebook from his pocket and took notes to the request. Okay, Herman. I cut to the chase. Look, we'll do it. We would have all killed each other for drugs or territory eventually. So let's expedite the process without any more torture. Herman butted in. What happens to us? He pointed to his exposed skull. Fat Mac shoved his reading glasses from the end of his nose up to his eyes. We will cover that for you. With what? Herman bombed back at him. A blankie? I increased the sincerity of my tone. Stop, Herman. I turned to address Mac. I think he means, do we live? Yes, we'll live here. Herman started walking back toward his cot. Are you kidding me? Wait a second, I said. Fat Mac, there's more to this. The priest started balancing a domino on his index finger, clearly hoping I shared his presentation in the office with Herman. And how so? There was this little girl living with me. I started. I grabbed Bates' ID out of my pocket and tossed it out of my cell. And? He bent over to pick up the ID card as he cascaded the single brick down his hand like a slinky on stairs. One of us. I mean, not us, I pointed to Herman and myself. But one of the knucklers got the little girl pregnant. Matt caught the domino in his palm and looked at her picture. Impossible. He threw the card back into my cell. I swear, she gave herself an abortion a few days ago before you assholes kidnapped me. It is not possible, Mr. Reynolds. Even if enough blood were available to you and your bodies to become erect, we sterilized every one of you before we assimilated you back into society. Herman rushed back to the bars as he ripped the pillow off his back. Assimilate? Society? You dumped us on the streets? Quietly, Fat Max spoke into his mic. Lights? Medium? Herman tried to cover his exposed head with his hands. Not preventing the light from singeing him, he retreated to his cot, grabbing a pillow off the floor on the way back. He shaded his face and head with it like an umbrella. Be that as it may, Matt continued. It is impossible for you to breed. Wait, 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 I interrupted. So... We were brought back to life because your lame church thinks that abortion is a sin. But you sterilized us and now you want us to kill each other because giving us life to begin with was wrong? Are you kidding me? Aren't birth control and killing also Catholic sins? He put his notepad back in his pocket and then tossed the domino in the air from his thumb like a coin and caught it on the opposite index finger. Put the domino away. We offered to help you, asshole. At least show us the respect we deserve for surrendering to your torture. We don't need your visual aids. Go clean up your mess. Even if the mess is... Well... Us. I turned around and walked back to my cot. I picked the nice pillow off my bed and shoved it through the bars. Here, Herman, cover yourself with this. He reached his long arms to the bars and grabbed the pillow from me. 
Don't get too used to it, I warned him. I want that pillow back. Fat Max spoke into his microphone again. Lights off. As if he were a little boy not getting his way, Herman spit on the pillow and chucked it back at the bars. Here, fool. Thanks, jerk. I tossed the pillow up into my bed with my foot. I looked back at Mac. He dropped the domino into his breast pocket. Thanks for putting away your toy. How is this going to work, anyway? Mac scratched the blotchy whiskers on his chin. Mmm. Herman got out of bed and relaxed on the plexiglass table. That doesn't put me at ease. You trapped our asses in here to kill for you. You don't even have a plan? Oh, come on, Mac. Throw us a bone. Jesus. His scratching progressed up his face to his temple. Um, the, uh, only plan is that you two get us in the doors and the cloth and the girl. Herman studied his forearm across the table. What girl? Mac looked fully at him. The girl who calls herself the Habit. I do not remember her real name. Uh, the one from the TV show. Hell no! Herman yelled as he pounded his arm directly through the table, breaking it right down the middle. The next words out of your mouth better be that we get to rape and kill her, or I choose death. Now. I'd strangle Gooter! Max shouted. The collars constricted. As I fell forward, I heard Herman spit up blood. He remained stoic, reluctant to back down to the priest and his weapons. At that point, it didn't matter to him whether he lived or died. He swished some blood around at his mouth and spit it at Mac. Struggling for air and trying to breach the collar with my fingertips, I pleaded with him. For Christ's sake, Herman! Knowing that Herman chose death, Fat Mac released the collars. Labefactum guter. Herman cleared his throat while I coughed up pieces of my esophagus. <coughs> Herman, we're going to kill a bunch of people. You don't have any more followers. This isn't going to ruin your street cred. Neither of us... <coughs> Neither of us will have any pride in streets or gangs to lead anymore. We're orphans. <coughs> Abandoned. Addicts. Who cares? I said. <coughs> Continuing. Fat Max said. You get us in. And we put the mistakes to rest. May God have mercy on their souls. Herman rolled his head, trying to fully loosen the collar. Don't care anymore, Reynolds. This is your show now. As long as I get Copperhead's traitor ass, I don't care. I got back to my feet and looked at Fat Mac. How do we know if we've killed all of them? I mean, <clears throat> there are a lot of us. You told me that we were all over the world. Oh, you needn't bother with the rest of the world. We only want to correct the mistakes of this parish. We have records for all of you. I built up a big ball of phlegm in my mouth and swallowed it, attempting to lubricate my throat. You do? Can... can we see them? I looked into Herman's cell to see if our genesis interested him. He had checked out completely. To him, it was a kamikaze mission and nothing more. 
He wanted to hold on to as much of the grandeur of which he was as he could. If a serial killer druggie was all that Herman was meant to be in life, then he was going to die being the greatest serial killer druggie the world ever saw. Fat Mac debated with himself for a minute. I can show you, he decided. Maybe I'd find something in my file that suggested my lineage could be traced back to cannibal kings or something. Something more than a dishonorable discharge from the land of the living that had stillborn stamped on the front of it. And if not, I could die knowing that I was going through with the suicide mission to help a troubled little girl whose only feeling of love was being raped. Chapter 23 Numbers As requested for the records, the Tims came for us the next morning. Herman ignored us. I yawned, still waking up. <sighs> Herman, are you sure you aren't a little curious? He didn't answer. Not Tim clicked his car alarm keychain. White-faced guy. Face the back wall. The three stooges entered my cell and ran me through the same security drill as before. We then headed to the gymnasium. We walked beyond the cots and past the yellow-stained mildewed incubators to the double doors. Not Tim grabbed a crowbar and peeled back the wooden do-not-enter sign. He pulled the police tape off the door and wrapped it around his forearm. New Tim slapped his cattle prod against a pole. We wait for Father McAteer, he said. No need to zap me, ass face, I said, brushing the sparks off my lower back. Sorry, he apologized. My hands slipped. Disgusted, I bent my head around to look at his much-in-need-of-a-gym body. Great. I hope you are not part of the crew we're rolling with to take out Los Angeles' most dangerous gangs. None of them responded. To me, that suggested the cloth wasn't the deepest posse in town. To this day, I have no idea how they managed to storm the Battlesnake's compound and kill every single thug there. On top of that, they somehow managed to capture a seven-foot-tall Rasta psychopath. Sure, Des and Copperhead loosened the pickle jar for them, but it amazed me that they carried Herman from their doorstep to the jail without being mangled. I tapped my foot impatiently. Well... It looks like we're going to be working together. I hope you've made peace with your god. If any of us make it back alive, it isn't going to be many. Fat Mac called across the gymnasium as if he were arriving at a party fashionably late. Sorry for the holdup, he said. I had some details to sort through. He walked up to us. Are you ready, Mr. Reynolds? Still tapping my feet, I answered. I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. He pointed to the chipped parquet floor. Please wait for us here, he instructed the Tims. If I need you, you'll hear me. Surprised, I asked, you trust me enough to go in there with me alone? Precautions, Max said as he tapped his microphone. If I feel I'm in danger, I will not hesitate to use this. And Mr. Reynolds? Yeah? He blew into the mic to make sure it was responding. This time... 
I have not reversed the process. I rubbed at my collar. I understand. I will tell you before we enter that it is not very exciting what we did. Giving you life. That was the exciting part. However, we both know now that we should never have played God. Don't give yourself so much credit, Fat Mac. Your experiment wasn't as successful as the real human race. It is, though. Don't you see, Mr. Reynolds? We aided you in your will to live. We helped God bring you into this world. I rolled my eyes. And now you want to take it away. Mac fogged up his reading glasses with his breath and then wiped them off on his sleeve. I have to pay the price for participating in following Father Herlihy, as do all the workers at St. Matthew's. As he unlocked the bolted door and pulled back the curtain to my personal Wizard of Oz, I said, You have not and will never pay as much as your victims have. Mac. Only the Lord will be the judge, he returned, putting his glasses back on their roost. I ask forgiveness every minute of every day. That's quite a few Hail Marys, I said. We entered the top secret room and Mac flipped on the fluorescent bulbs. It took several moments for them to flicker to life. Some of the bulbs only half illuminated. Others just fused on and off one last time. The lab was less than half the size of the gymnasium. The floor was checker tiled with a bad grout job. It was so dirty that the white scores were almost as dark as their black counterparts. The first objects that caught my eye were more large incubators, about twenty or so. Worse for the wear than the incubators in the main gym, the oxygen lines were corroded and all the electrical wiring had long since fizzled out. It wasn't quite the majesty you'd expect from a mad scientist's laboratory. Analog life support systems that appeared to be donations from old hospitals remained beside about 30% of the incubators. At the far end, there was a collection of abandoned and decayed wheelchairs, crutches, and IV stands. You were right, I remarked. Mac looked around the room. How so? This is pretty depressing. A burst pipe under the sterilization sink by the main doors had flooded the right front corner of the room. The black water served as a swimming hole for a variety of insects. The stale aroma smelled like a combination of discounted cleansers, burnt hair, and moldy food. I waved my hand in front of my nose. The shackles around my wrist rattled loudly in the quiet room. How long has it been since you cleaned this place? Magateer countered on his fingers. That has been sealed now for about twelve years. There is no reason to come down here anymore. All joking aside, I said, if you knew you were going to shut down your project, why leave all this evidence here to prove you were guilty of something? He looked back at me confused and somewhat shocked. What were we guilty of? We were housing and caring for homeless and abused women. The only thing we were actually guilty of was trying to clean up the community. I rubbed my hand across the buildup of filth on a bubble of one of the incubators. You really believe that, don't you? Look inside this casket. That's where I spent my childhood. I was unaware of the world and I was kept alive by machines, steroids, blood, and drugs. How the hell did you get the drugs anyway? 
Some of our part-time deacons worked as police officers. They were paid to misplace evidence. I looked further around the stain of the bubble inside the incubator to see another synthetic pillow. Unlike the cotton micelle, this bed had sheets and blanket. However, it wasn't exactly a rich kid's race car bed. Frustrated, I asked, and you never saw anything morally wrong with misplacing narcotics. The drugs were the fruit that gave life. Otherwise, there would have been nothing. The drugs were the key, Mr. Reynolds. The steroids alone did not bring you back from the afterlife. Every one of the children that began to live and breathe did not become conscious until they were expected the same drug nourishment provided by their mothers in the womb. As you took form, you were bombarded with narcotics, sometimes as a replacement for food. Simply put, your bodies grew inside your mother's infested bodies and you developed a need for the drugs like most forming humans need food and water. Our theory from day one was that once your children were born into this world, you lacked that one element to stay alive. As soon as a mother's sour milk was taken away, so was the will to live. Then why the steroids at all? In most cases, he continued, the narcotics weren't enough because many of the births were third trimester miscarriages. The growth hormone was a mistake, which we realized after it was too late. It helped your bodies develop rapidly. It sped up the nurturing process. A rat crawled out from under the pillow inside the broken down incubator I was surveying. How did you know any of it would work? We didn't, Fat Mac admitted. In our quest to follow our pro-life beliefs, we ran into a lot of trial and error. I scratched on the bubble. The rat investigated my finger by getting on his hind legs and sniffing the inside of the bubble. How much error? I asked. The first subject we gave life to after treatments was your friend, Pico. To our dismay, we didn't give him a large enough dose of the hormone. That is why he's weaker and much frailer than the rest of you. With our second child, we had the opposite reaction. Herman? Yes, your cellmate. Several others around that time were the product of an overdose to the hormones. For several years, we figured we were being guided by the hand of God to create all sizes, shapes, and colors of children. You fell into this stage of the project. We found that the problem was heroin-addicted children was that they took more and more to the drugs, casually ignoring the steroids. Simply put, although the steroids eventually processed and your life system was kick-started, the need for more and more heroin was imminent. Did you ever figure out a balance, Mac? At one point, we felt we had found the perfect balance with a child whose mother was severely addicted to several narcotics. We monitored him closely, but he seemed to sustain a relatively normal balance between the drugs and growth. His system didn't devour blood at a rapid pace of the others. On top of that, his aversion to sunlight was more limited than most of you. Right up until the day we fought to have the experiment shut down, he was our prototype. Uninterested in my finger, the rat got back down on all fours and crawled under the pillow. I'm sure you know all of our names somehow. I'll guess that prototype was Des. How did you know? 
because all the white kids younger than him pretty much look and act exactly like him. I have another question. He swatted a fly off his arm. Okay. I moved toward the rusted door hinges to the records room at the far right end of the laboratory. Fat Mac followed about ten feet behind me. Even though we were having a peaceful conversation, it made sense that he didn't want to put himself in harm's way. Me being harm. When you use Daz as a prototype for the younger subjects, did you use his genetic makeup to help them survive? He hesitated for a second and then confessed. Yes. I guess we did. It became clear that my line of questioning served a purpose because the cloth overlooked a rather large sidebar to their project. Are you sure that he was sterilized as well? You don't think that maybe Dez could have evolved the ability to reproduce? Let me take that back. I'm sure you don't believe in evolution. Do you think maybe he figured out a way to reproduce? Fat Mac toweled up some sweat on his neck using the back of his wrist. We would never have made that irresponsible of a mistake. As far as manifesting the ability to reproduce on his own... Like I said, everything about his life was a miracle. But you said he was a prototype. Those were your exact words. Do you think maybe someone else figured they could play God further and let loose a breeding being? The fact is that I've never seen a female one of us. No females in Los Angeles survived the rebirthing process, he said. Right. So, if Des was able to impregnate the girl, and I know from her mouth that he raped her, then he is the one we need to track down. He's the most dangerous one of us out there. McAteer wheezed. I still don't believe you, Mr. Reynolds. I raised my fists and chains. Look, motherfucker! Mac readied his lapel to engage the corkscrew around my neck. I retreated, showing him my palms. Don't do it. I'm calming down. I'm not going to hurt you. He let the microphone fall back into place. Des got the girl pregnant. I'm almost sure of it. All we need to do is find him and the girl and no one else needs to die. He swiped away at another fly. I will believe you enough to let you find Des and this girl. But the plague we created still needs to be resolved. He approached me carefully. He put his hand across my chest. I'm sorry, Mr. Reynolds. This needs to be set right in the eyes of God. Understandably, I lately brushed off his attempt to comfort me and make me understand his stance and tiptoed deeper into the records room. As I looked around, not knowing where to begin, What number am I, Mac? You're number 14. Ignoring any attempt to console me further, I picked through a stack of folders. Really, I said. I was hoping I was 13. Confused, Mac responded. Why? Because I'm superstitious. If that is true, then that would make you unlucky, would it not? I dumped some folders on the floor outside the door as I grabbed a handful more from the top shelf. You don't even know the half of it. I am the unluckiest person alive. You have an hour, Mr. Reynolds. Although I would like to say I hope you find whatever it is you're looking for. I don't think there's anything in this room beyond the forgotten ideas, people, and places we misguidedly made. 
He turned around and exited the laboratory. It didn't take me that long to find my case file. I pulled up a withered wheelchair from the corner outside the records room and read the mini-biography of the first twelve years of my life. My name is Subject 14. I was stillborn on October 21st, 1976, at 5.39 p.m. I was revived, breathing and reborn at 8.12 p.m. I was born with blonde hair and blue eyes at 3 pounds, 2 ounces. My birth mother's name was Cheryl McKenzie. She came to St. Matthew's seeking shelter from her abusive boyfriend. During her second stay at the church, she lost her left arm to gangrene at 21 years of age, which she contracted from the effects of chronic intravenous heroin addiction. No name was listed for my father. Struggling to stay alive during the first six months after my rebirth, I was constantly monitored by a young father McAteer who called for increased levels of heroin and hormone supplements. During the transfer from my original incubator in the shelter to my childhood incubator in the lab, I bit one of the doctors. Although this doctor called for my immediate disposal, the rest of the care staff insisted that I be kept under constant supervision. At five years, the doctors attempted to wean me off the heroin mixed into my life support supplements and replace it with dolophine for the first time. My body did not adjust to the new treatment and I was switched back to heroin. Yearly monitoring of my growth inside and out showed that although the steroids were doing their job, they were overactive and attacking my blood cells. Not unusual, as similar activity was cited in all subjects. A sidebar was clipped onto the fifth page of my file. It read, Seems to exhibit emotional and hyperactive rapid eye movement. Might be more aware than the rest. As I flipped through the pages, the side notes ended and the reports diminished to weekly, then monthly, and then yearly reports. The chronicles became less about my care and more about my vital signs, growth, and overall stability. The very last page in my childhood manifesto simply read, August 14th, 1988, Subject 14 Discharged. May God watch over him. I closed the file, tapped it on my knee, and threw it on the floor. During the trek back to my cell, Fat Mac and the Tims were silent. Even if they had asked me anything, I didn't hear them. I didn't as much feel like a dead man walking as I did a live man walking. Under the circumstances, being alive felt worse... As much as I would spit on the delusional glory of my existence, I always hoped in the back of my mind that it was more than being the product of a drug addict convinced not to have an abortion. So, just like Eldritch, Nomi, and Herman, I was just putting on a vampire variety show. Fat Mac patted me on the shoulder one last time and dropped me off at my cell. I didn't take comfort in the fact that my cell was located adjacent to my childhood home. I lay down on the bed and faced the back wall. It was, after all, the closest thing to a window to the outside world that I'd ever have again. So, how was it? 
What was it? Herman asked quietly, sensing my despair. Apparently, he was more curious than he let on earlier. I closed my eyes, fighting the words on the pages of my file. It was nothing. The files were all but destroyed a long time ago. You were number two, though. I found that out. He popped his nose and mouth into my cell through the bars. Number two what? You were the second one of us, Herman. Bullshit. Who the hell was number one? I continued my fixation with the back wall. It was Pico. Figures that worthless bag of shit would be number one. There's nothing to it. We're just as human as everyone else, dude. He stuck his head out of the bars. They're lying to you, Reynolds. It's true. We're a bunch of worthless orphans and druggies. The only reason we have any kind of extraordinary abilities is because of some mysterious steroids and our God-given lust for drugs. It's just like I told you before. Probably because he didn't see his file, Herman remained unrattled. He grabbed the bars with both his hands and inched his face further into my cell. What are you all pussy about, Reynolds? We are extraordinary. We're vampires. I know I'm a goddamn vampire. So we're not the dickheads in the movies and shit. We're strong as hell and we live on blood. That's a vampire. No, we're not. I gave him a go-away gesture with my hand. Fat Mac told me that the reason you're so enormous is because they were still testing out the dosage of steroids when you were born. They gave Pico too little, and they gave you too much. Now, leave me alone. What did they give you then? A headache. The Gospels piped in, signaling midnight. Coming up empty, Hermit eventually strolled back to his bed. Although I didn't sleep. I didn't talk for the rest of the night. Chapter 24 Traitors Dark and early the next morning, Fat Mac made his way into our jail... Herman greeted him between push-ups. It was safe to say that beyond his exposed skull, the Rasta was fully ready to reclaim his throne as king of the... vampires. Father McAteer instructed not Tim to open Herman's food hall at the bottom of the front of his bars as he reached into a St. Matthew's duffel bag. Interested, I sat up on my cot to get a scenic view of the surprise gift... The priest bent over and kicked the plastic object from the bag into Herman's cell. It slid across the filth-covered floor. Mid push-up, Herman tapped it with his left hand. What the fuck is this? Protection and precautions, Fatnack responded. Acrobatically, my cellmate snapped to his feet, gripping the present between his hands. He took a second to study it, like Hamlet talking to the jester's skull. Then... He projected the object back at the bars. No chance, no way. Through the bars, Fat Mac punched it back to him. I'm afraid it's all we have to protect you at such short notice. We did not realize that you were going to be scouted when we apprehended you. 
Like a soccer striker, Herman stopped the object again and then rested his size 22 foot on top of it. I would not drop your weight on it, Mac warned. If you do not wear it, you will not be allowed to leave here. Incensed at what he thought Fat Mac was saying about him, Herman flipped the object on top of his foot and kicked it up to his hand again. I ain't some special needs kid. As he continued to holler, I got a good look at the cloth's gift. It was a hockey helmet with two bolts on either side. From what I made out, it had a halo of wires and soft bandages jury-rigged on top to brace his head. Rather than any face mask, the headgear had three sharp hacksaw blades soldered across the front. On top of the corkscrew collar, the cloth wanted to provide themselves with extra precautions when dealing with Herman. Mac attempted to appeal to Herman's sense of safety. If we send you out there without it, you're worthless to us. The helmet will secure onto your head and onto the bandages inside, only lightly grazing the vulnerable portion of your cranium. It will not be comfortable, but it might just save you. My self-pity about my youth suddenly escaped me. Hey, look at that, Herman, I chuckled. It's an L.A. King's helmet. Now you're really a king. Shut the hell up, Reynolds, he sneered, throwing the helmet toward my cell. Indeed, Mac continued, trying to sweeten a salty deal. The Los Angeles Kings donated a lot of equipment for a roller hockey league that St. Matthews created for underprivileged children in the surrounding neighborhoods. One of the former players was quite portly, and his head was too big for any of the professional-grade helmets. As a gift, they had that helmet custom-made. Come on, Herms. The cloth needs us for one thing and one thing only. Fat Mag nodded approvingly. I picked the helmet up again and tossed it to him. You're no good to me or yourself if we go into a house filled with others like us if they see your head looking like Humpty Dumpty. We're screwed. Do you want to kill these bastards and get to Copperhead, or do you want to sit in that cell and wait for these assholes, I pointed to Fat Mac, real Tim and not Tim, to kill you when they realize you're not doing jack or shit for them? We're as good as dead no matter what. You might as well get even with that traitor. I winked at him with my left eye, letting him know that our escape was still in play. He slapped it to the concrete floor again and mumbled. What was that? I asked. I didn't catch that. I'm not a Kings fan. He whined as he bent over, picked it up and tossed it onto his bed. I'm a Blackhawks fan. Somewhat satisfied that we'd convinced Herman that the helmet was mandatory, Fat Mac shifted gears. We decided that we want you to find Des and this girl. Without hesitating, I questioned his sudden change of heart. Don't you mean you want them dead? No, we want them here, he assured me. With no intention of fulfilling that end of the new bargain, I played along. Okay, when and where are we going? Tonight, Mac responded. West Hollywood. He said the girl was with the homosexuals. After we get her to safety, we will seek out Dez. Speaking without thinking, I asked, And what if Eldridge is there? Confused, real Tim and not Tim looked at each other. Fat Mac lowered his head. Eldridge? It hadn't occurred to me that Eldridge wasn't even on the cloth's radar. He was, after all. Raised by wolves in the mountain regions of northern Canada. Herman started. 
Yeah, you know, he's the doorman there at the Batwanger's whorehouse. I cut him off before we caused too much damage. The guy doesn't have a lot of love for battlesnakes or knucklers. I shifted my eyes at Herman to play along. Herman bumbled his way through the lie. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I hate that fairy homo. I clenched my teeth together to get him to shut up. Fat Mac looked at both of us, debating if something was afoot. Satisfied, however, he reached into his duffel bag and tossed each of us a large bag of fresh blood. Please be ready. As the three of them headed back down the hall to leave, not Tim turned and pointed to his eyes with his index finger and middle finger and then flipped his hand around to point to us. I'm watching you, he mouthed. Herman turned around, pulled his pants down, bent over and shoved his balls backwards. Watch this, bitch. We looked at each other and erupted into laughter. I fell over, knocking my IV stand on the floor. I think we might have even high-fived. Chapter 25 Butchers The cloth-loaded hockey Herman and me into two separate church bookmobiles packed with five Catholic soldiers, plus a driver and a co-pilot in each. Inside the trucks, used books were stacked everywhere, creating makeshift chairs for all of us. Although we were shackled for the trip, they didn't seem too spooked by us, because not only did they constantly point out the kill devices around our necks, they were armed like Nicaraguan Contras. The rent-a-priests were dressed in a strange variation of their standard cloth attire. The outfits were more military-inspired, with pockets for shotgun shells and knife caddies and the like. How much money do you guys actually put toward the church? I asked. The fake priest directly across from me wiped his nose in his sleeve. What does that mean? Well, I know we're not rolling up in tanks or anything, but these... I picked up my collar. And these... I pointed down the line at all five of them. And the jail, and the shelter, it all seems kind of expensive. Do your parishioners know you waste money on, um, demon slaying? We are the parishioners of St. Matthew's, not Tim said, riding shotgun. We're the police. Figures, I thought to myself. The actual police, or like the dream police? Keep him quiet, the driver injected. It's okay, Shane, the priest across from me answered before turning to me. We use our own money for the good of the city and the believers. We hit a bump and a book fell out of a stack into my lab and read the title aloud. The Nightshade Chronicles. The Night Bringeth Life. The cover had L. Byron Nightshade crouching with his lover dying in his arms. He was wearing a vest but no shirt. His six-pack was airbrushed to protrude beyond anything humanly or inhumanly possible. With a gleam, I asked, Why would you give this garbage out to kids if you kill vampires? The priest across from me pressed his gun against my head as he took the book out of my hand. These are good. The author is a very charitable member of the Catholic Church. Why? So you can create more characters? 
The priests all looked at each other confused. Obviously, they didn't know the truth about the demons they were hunting. I suppose in Fat Mac's defense it was easier to keep his soldiers hunting Satan's children without letting them know he let us loose on the world. I changed gears. Where's the habit? I thought she was coming along for the trip. <sighs> the junkie? She's meeting us there. The priest that spoke laughed and nudged his neighbor. What was that for? I asked. What was what for? The neighbor chuckled. I mimicked their actions. You just elbowed your buddy and laughed. It doesn't take a top-notch detective to know something is up. Don't worry about it, demon, he said, almost unable to control this chuckling. Okay, I said, rolling my eyes. If I didn't have so much hate for that low-life bitch and everything she had done to Herman and me, I would have told her that she was being led to the slaughter just like the rest of us. I only hoped that Pico and Bate were still there. Since I convinced Fat Mac that she was a necessary and innocent life to be spared, I figured Herman and me would go in and nab her as we annihilated the wangers. Our truck came to a stop and the driver and not Tim exited the vehicle. I watched the weekend deacons across from me let down their guard for a split second to pray. Each of them made the sign of the cross like a Mexican soccer team before they ran onto the field. The roll-up door opened on my left side. One by one, they began leaping from their seats out of the back. One of them stayed in the truck with me. No funny stuff. He started toward me with keys in one hand and a 357 Magnum pointed between my eyes and the other. All the guards outside the truck readied their microphones to their lips. One false move, and my neck would have become a Dixie cup in a mosh pit. The priest in the truck with me unlocked the cuffs on my feet quickly, almost carelessly dropping his keys, and then rebounded to unlock the cuffs around my wrists. I rubbed the sweat buildup off my arms. As he scraped the revolver's scope across my cheek, he exited the bookmobile. You guys have nothing to worry about. I assured them as they continued to chaperone me. I want this to be done just as much as you do. Get out. Slowly. Not Tim instructed. With my hands in the air, I hopped off the back gate of the truck. From behind them, seven more fake priests approached us with Herman. A few laser pointers lit up on my body. Turn away from them. Shane coached me as he nudged me with the cattle prod. As I turned, Herman lowered his head into a circle of guns. He didn't make a sound. His lumbering body settled in the center of the army. The habit stumbling caught my ear. I heard her run her cokehead bullet fingernails down Herman's reef-like skin. Looks like the big monkey is under control, boys. Good job. Hey, bitch! A black priest yelled, his shotgun cocked. I guessed at her and not Herman. Sorry! She spat at him. I didn't mean it like that. Man, I know who you are, bitch, he continued. I've seen that Amos and Andy show you were on. Racist bitch. I was shuffled around by two of the priests from my mobile. One of the other soldiers grabbed the barrel of the black priest's gun and pointed it back at Herman. The big man's shoulders twitched a little. I don't know if he was laughing because he knew she was about to get hers, or if he was trying to balance the fury that he was almost certainly about to unleash. Hey, RJ, the habit said. 
She didn't look as muddy-minded as she had the night she paid us a visit in jail, but she was still wearing that dumb nun's habit like it was a uniform. I think it had a couple of barf stains on it. Fat Mac probably spent the last couple of days trying to wean her off the shit, much like he had with me. He also probably made her all kinds of dishonest promises. Her stench and sounds made me wish that I had never gotten involved with her. I wished that I never wanted to screw her either. Even a hate fuck was too good for that ignorant gash. The habit stayed further away from me, behind my captors. How does it feel, RJ? She asked. I yawned. How does what feel? How does it feel that it's come down to this? You working for me. Ordered to kill your own kind. Working for this star that captured the imagination of America's little girls. Dagnabbit! The black priest followed her with his eyes, waiting patiently for the right moment to crack her little neck. Rather than alert her to the fact that she was being thrown to the bats herself, I simply answered, Lame. I ignored her and addressed Shane. What's the plan? He pointed between Herman and me with his gun. You two are going to get them to open the door. Then, after you enter from the front, half of us will follow and sweep from behind, while the rest of us come in through the rear once we know it's safe to enter. I licked my teeth. So, we're doing all the legwork. There are at least fifteen of them in there. All of them are as tough as... I looked at Herman. Well, as tough as me. Can we get a little more support than that? Their leader, Nomi, is going to have the girl somewhere I won't be able to get at her. Declaring her allegiance to the real monsters, the habit raised her hand off one of the cloth's members she was using as a crutch and made her signature pouty TV face. I want to help, Dagnabbit. The black priest curled his lips, disgusted. I turned a deaf ear to her and asked Shane for a stick. Following my lead, he broke off a limb from a nearby tree and handed it to me. I began drawing in the sand between us. There is a long hall that leads to Nomi's room. On both sides of the hall are four to five fuck rooms. When we burst through the door, which is never heavily guarded by anyone other than a tranny hostess, I will make my way toward the end of the hall. As you all follow, rush the back and cover a different room. Herman lifted his head. What about me, friends? They're going to follow directly behind me and just wreck everything that comes near us. I pointed to the priest in the habit. The less of us who die in the first five seconds, the better chance we have of getting the kid. And the kid is what Fat Mac wants. Herman nodded and asked, What if he's there? Knowing he was referring to Eldritch, I said, Why, are you afraid of him? The guy is the biggest pussy I know. The habit twirled a gun around her finger, then stopped. Wait, who is he? Are we walking into some kind of ambush? I dropped the stick. Yeah, dumbass, we communicate with each other telepathically. This has been our plan since you trapped us. I rolled my eyes. We're just as likely to die here as all of you. The priests looked at each other as if I was informing them of some special vampire powers they hadn't been briefed on. The habit licked the end of her gun. Fuck you, RJ. And Herman, I said, picking the stick back up. He's not in there. 
It's too late for him not to be bar hopping or holding a super secret meeting with his agent or something. Herman didn't laugh. Do they have security cameras around the perimeter? Real Tim asked. No. They're a bunch of wasted transvestite prostitutes. Why would they have security cameras? I just... Um... He stumbled over the words. Trust me. They don't need any security besides themselves. As stealthy as 14 guards in priest outfits, a junkie nun impersonator, a 7-foot Rasta in a hockey helmet, and dopey old me could be walking across the lawn of a recreation center, we approached the house. One of the priests signaled for half of the group and the habit to go around the tree line next to the house, Parkside. The rest of us prepped ourselves curbside. Herman and I walked toward the door. You ready, my man? I asked, flicking his hockey helmet. What's up with the jive, Reynolds? Talk normally, quit fronting. He looked at me through the razors covering most of his face. We don't really have a choice other than being dead, do we? You better not be under the control of a gooch, Reynolds. I sighed, realizing that I made a mistake telling Cobra about the voice. There is no gooch. <laughs> the gooch told you to say that. I shook my head no and knocked on the door. Platform shoes snapped down the tile toward us and stopped just on the other side of the door. The hostess sang out. Who is it? I looked at Herman. It's King Cobra, motherfucker. Open the door. The hostess hesitated. Herman began beating his fists against the wood. After ten seconds passed, he said, We can't wait any longer, Reynolds. He stepped in front of me, tore off the Christmas lights using his fists like sledgehammers. He barreled to the door. Quickly set in motion like a linebacker, he plowed over the door and the hostess became trapped under it. Not ready to be announced at a party we weren't invited to, I called out, Herman, wait! It was too late. The game clock had started. Play ball. It would just be a matter of seconds before the Batwangers swallowed us. I stepped on the door. The hostess peered out from underneath. I stomped my right boot into his face, shifting my heel under his neck and popped his head off. The insides of his neck jumped out as I put more pressure on the door, like his body was a novelty can of nuts filled with snakes. I skated off the door and followed Herman, who was knocking on every door he passed as he made his way to Nomi's lair. One by one, the fuck rooms opened as we ran past. Shotguns exploded behind me as my half of the posse unloaded into the open doors. Crumbs of buckshot whizzed all around my head. Before Herman reached Nomi's door, two naked wangers bolted from their doors and positioned themselves in front of him. Herman locked on to both of their necks with his giant hands and pulled them down to his legs. He simply crushed their skulls by dropping his knees to the floor. Their cerebellum's water falled off his muscles onto his shoes as he got back up. Shaking myself away from his hypnotic violence, I noticed that the rest of the drones had come out of their rooms. One jumped on Herman's back as the other headed toward the priests and me. Empty shotgun shells bounced off the floor and thumped at my calves as heads were picked off the trannies in front of me. Two wangers who avoided the firefight jumped toward me and grappled me to the ground. Still stimulated from pleasing the fetishists cowering in their rooms, both wangers' hard dicks folded as they touched my stomach. I grabbed onto one of the cocks and tore it off. I shoved it into his mouth and I kicked him away from me. He fell backward in shock. Immediately, one of the priests leapt on top of him and filled his face with lead. 
I fixated on my other assailant who was trying desperately to wrap his arms around my neck and snap it. The cloth, still startled by the suddenness of the attack, shot up the walls and the furniture, blowing up refinished alien accessories rather than people. They probably thought the furniture was alive. I got into a crouching counter-move to my aggressor's attempts and pivoted him under me. He cried out, Why? Why, RJ? Why are you doing this? My body felt cold. I knew him. He grew up in the same stinky alley as me. I'm sorry, I said. As he begged for answers and mercy, I trampled his cries by pinning his head to the ground sideways. I closed my eyes and then clobbered away at his face with my forearms. I felt squirts of his blood drench my face as his begs for mercy fell silent. I opened my eyes. In my mission to quiet him and forget who he was, I had completely severed his face in half below his nose. Two of the priests rolled up in front of me and began clearing the rooms. I heard shots and figured they were deliveries from God to sinning humans who sought the company of transvestite vampires. There's no back door, a voice rang out into our bedlam. Just stay there, I yelled back. While I kicked the dead tranny aside, I saw Herman crash through the door to the center of the hive. I raced down the hall to search for bait, looking in every room I passed. Fuck you, Cobra! Nomi shrieked. I made my way into the Queen's realm. Herman stood at the end of the bed. Nomi lay on his side in a metallic silver teddy reading a magazine and smoking one of his long cigarettes. Herman turned to me. Should I? He mouthed. I held up my hand for him to be patient. Where's Bate? I asked, entering farther into the room. Nomi licked his fingers and paged through the magazine. Next to him was the corpse of his latest lonely victim in an empty syringe. He put down the magazine and sank his teeth into a testicle. RJ, I thought you were dead. He swayed, blasé to our storming of his castle. His eyelashes flickered out his half-closed lids and eyes that rolled in ecstasy. What do you want? I turned my head backward to the door behind me holding it up like a stop sign to signal the cloth to stay away. The alien tentacles lit up the room and the weavings above the canopy spun its web. Well? He asked. Herman studied the room as if he'd never been inside the belly of the beast and then backed down from the edge of the bed, giving him a clear shot at Nomi. I asked again, Where's Bates? Nomi crunched away on the gonad. That little hooker? Yeah, Nomi. Where is she? He swallowed his treat, took a drag off his cigarette and then ash on the dead John. Before he brought the smoke back to his mouth for another puff, he dipped the holder into the guy's missing pelvis. Hmm. He thought for a second. I think I turned that bitch out, RJ. I stretched my neck and readied my fists. I told you not to. I made my way to the bed, scratching my arms after seeing another syringe, this one half full of heroin, wrapped up in the satin bed cover. I run this town now, RJ. You've been, like, gone or something. I avoided looking at the heroin. 
Where's the girl, Nomi? No, no. I gave her to the Perrys or something. You know, those boys. He patted his hand against the mattress. Now get over here, slave. I'm your master now. As he exited the room, Herman called back. Come on, Reynolds. He's too wasted to do anything for us. The girl ain't here. He was right. Bait wasn't there anymore. I turned from Nomi and followed Herman back through the hallway where the cloth stood diligently waiting. Shane shrugged and said, There is no human teenager here. We checked all the rooms and a shed out back. Where's the bitch? Herman asked him. She took off a lot earlier. Probably knew we were going to kill her, the black priest answered. I stepped over the bullet-ridden bodies on the floor. Get back here, RJ. Suck my tits, faggot. Nomi screeched from the bed, delirious. I own you, RJ. Who's the faggot now? Unaware that all his friends and worker bees had been dismantled in less than five minutes and that the cloth was standing inside his house, Nomi continued to yell. I own you, asshole. I own Hollywood now. Have at it, I said to the black priest and Shane. They surged into the queen's lair and, without hesitation, unloaded every single piece of ammo they had left in their guns. Before they reloaded us into our separate bookmobiles, the cloth lit the whorehouse on fire. To the cheers of his comrades... One of the priests whooped. Be gone, demons! <laughs> if you enjoyed tonight's story, Please be sure to join us again next week for the continuation of Drew Stepek's Knuckle Supper. Knuckle Supper, Ultimate Gutter Fix Edition, and its critically acclaimed sequel, Knuckleballed, are available now from Bloodbound Books. Also, please consider making a donation to Children of the Night today and help end teen prostitution and human trafficking. Children of the Night is a privately funded non-profit organization established in 1979 with the specific purpose of providing intervention in the lives of children who are sexually exploited and vulnerable to, or involved in, prostitution and pornography. Visit childrenofthenight.org for more information today. From author Drew Stepik and all of us here at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, thanks for listening and for your support. For more than 20 years, Drew Stepek has written, produced, and directed for the publishing, online, and entertainment industries. Drew has worked for Film Threat, Sci-Fi Universe, Wild Cartoon Kingdom, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Saturday Night Live, The Profiler, The Pretender, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and ESPN. In the past ten years, the author ventured into creative directing and ideation roles involving entertainment and technology marketing for Davy Brown Entertainment and Straight Up Technologies. In 2012, 
Stebek took a position as the head of branded entertainment for Machinima. He has also been a creative director at Awesomeness TV and is currently the head of integrated marketing at All Deaf Media. Born in Royal Oak, Michigan, Stepek moved around a bit as a young man and finally found his home in Hollywood, California in 1994. Stepek attended Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. His first novel, Godless, was released 666, June 6, 2006, and has since captured a strong underground following. Currently, Stepek is working on the sequels to Knuckle Supper and Knuckle Bald. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel... Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already... Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.